Welcome to the podcast series, Blindingly Obvious. My name is Minnie Baragwanath, and this series is based on my book by the same name. Blindingly Obvious is my story. It is a candid and deeply personal story about my life and work as a blind woman, social entrepreneur, and innovator. I wrote it in order to share my experience of blindness with others and in the hope that it might raise awareness and invite others to actively create a more accessible future, one that is full of possibility. A wonderful voiceover artist and now friend of mine, Romy Hooper, has narrated my full book, all 24 chapters. I do so hope you enjoy listening. It is an absolute pleasure to be able to share it with you. 5. The Art of Living After just one year at Massey University, I decided to leave and enrol at Victoria University in Wellington, our art-filled and creative capital city. During my year at Massey in 1987, I had intentionally enrolled in a diverse array of courses and papers, including religious studies, philosophy, psychology, German and English literature. My young mind was opened to so many incredible concepts and ways of looking at the world. I had a deep thirst for knowledge, ideas, and new experiences. So it made sense to me that I explore as broad a range of subjects as I could. I recall one exercise we had to undertake in our psychology class. We were each asked to look at a famous Rorschach ink splotch test and write down what we could see within that random splotch. While others in the class stopped after they had found a handful of images, I kept going and going and going. I could see absolutely limitless possibilities. This was the point when I realized that not only as a stargazer did I literally see the world differently, I also realized that I, Minnie Baragwanath, saw and experienced the world differently in a much broader and deeper sense. I realized that at times it seemed that I had the potential to see things other people did not see. I could in fact even see some things that sighted people did not, or could not, or would not, choose to see. I realized vision was more than seeing. Palmerston North now felt too small. Home felt restrictive. Mum also made it clear it was time for me to go. I had to move to a new city and step out on my own. It was time to find my I am. One of my best friends growing up as a child had been Tanya Beeringer, now Olive Beeringer an amazingly creative and courageous person, a dear friend and a world-leading international contemporary dancer and choreographer. Our parents were also friends. The Beeringers very generously offered to have me stay with them in Wellington, in their airy old art-filled villa in Haitaitai, over the summer of 1987 to 88, before university started. Tanya's father, Lewitt, was the director of the National Art Gallery of New Zealand at the time. He had previously been the director of the Manawatu Art Gallery, now Te Manawa, when it opened in the mid-1970s in Palmerston North. Tanya and I had spent many hours together as children, playing, painting, and generally exploring the gallery in Palmerston North. This was where I had first experienced contemporary New Zealand art. I had seen exhibitions by Gordon Walters, Rita Angus, Michael Smithers, and giant works by Colin McCann. I'd also seen a naked man, Andrew Drummond, contort, twist and writhe in a cage, with his hands tied behind his back 
as he struggled to eat an apple dangling just out of reach. This was my first experience of performance art, and to be honest, as a seven-year-old child, it had given me the nervous giggles. Along with a group of other local children, I had also watched the classic black-and-white late 1960s Beatles movie, Yellow Submarine, from giant oversized beanbags under the exposed, brightly painted steel girders at the gallery. I loved the fact that I could just pull the beanbags up as close to the screen as I needed to be able to comfortably watch the movie, on my visual terms. I now realise what an incredible gift I had received from Lewitt and the Beeringers. They had ensured that accessing art was not only possible for me as a child, but was fun, an adventure, and an essential part of a full and rich life. Only now do I realise the many ways that I and my work have been shaped and influenced by art, artists, and gallery spaces. I am quite sure it is not a random coincidence that today, so many years later, I am running the Global Centre of Possibility, my creative, future-focused social change agency, out of an old, bright, white light-filled art gallery space in Auckland. It is a space in which I feel deeply creative, liberated and at home. The Manawatu Gallery is where this deep love of gallery spaces started. I loved the scale, the spaciousness, the light, the architecture, and the many glorious artworks offering up windows into many different worlds and realities. I now also realise that one of the reasons I feel such a connection to the New Zealand art I was exposed to at this time was that I could see it clearly. Rita Angus, Robin White, Don Binney and Michael Smither all displayed clear, bold imagery. Everything had an outline and there were clean, clear colours and definition in their work. I now know that this style is known as New Zealand realism and is part of an early New Zealand artistic style. It turns out I was fortunate as a child to be exposed to a group of artists who were grappling with ideas of identity and what it meant to be a New Zealand artist, or to be a Māori artist, as opposed to European or American. I was therefore unconsciously absorbing a period and style of art in which New Zealand artists were actively seeking to break free of the culture's colonial masters and influences. Thanks to Lewitt and his incredibly inclusive philosophy, I could get up really close to the images and connect with them in their powerful and essential exploration of identity. This also meant I was able to be equipped with an entirely different language for communicating ideas about the world around me. Concepts of identity and having the courage to challenge and reframe who we are as people in Aotearoa have been a part of my social change work since day one. Rather than exploring colonialism and or nationhood, I have explored what it means to be disabled or to be able-bodied or to be an access citizen. I have continuously applied this question of identity to myself and my own emerging sense of self, as well as to my wider social change work and our collective identity as the disabled community. Art ensured I was lucky enough to have had a rich visual library of images by trailblazers to draw from. People who had also challenged dominant norms and ways of seeing people in the world. I am also grateful to artists and my early exposure to art for another reason. Many people I encounter want to try to understand how I actually see the world around me. They want to know what does it mean to be partially blind, 
What do I see? What don't I see? And how does the world look through my eyes? I rely heavily on the Impressionist paintings of Monet and the American artist Chuck Close with his large pixelated portraits of faces. These artworks provide me with ways that can help me show others how I see the world. They are wonderful depictions of how I, stargazer, actually see faces and other aspects of life all around me. And of course, would we have even had the art form known as Impressionism if Monet had not been partially blind himself due to cataracts? Another gift from the world of art came from the American artist Barbara Kruger. In 1988, during my first year at Victoria University, Lewitt arranged for Barbara Kruger to exhibit at Shed 11. Her show made a huge impression on me. I recall her cheeky and confronting slogan, I shop, therefore I am. I loved the giant font, the clear graphic letters, and the enormous bold imagery in red, black, and white. I could directly experience her work and the meaning behind it. She was radical, political, and vocal. She had something to say and a powerful platform on which to express it. Not only was this part of a political awakening, Barbara Kruger's art, along with Colin McCann's, had another powerful and lasting effect on me. I believe their art and their use of giant, oversized letters, numbers and words gave me the confidence to go big myself. In a world still dominated by the use of size 10 font in everything from legal documents to university books to signage, it was and still is a radical act to boldly go beyond teeny tiny font. I now know this was part of what has enabled me to have the confidence in later life to challenge and to go outside set norms of visual language in my work as a blind access entrepreneur. Art has given me and my life so much, yet what I did not realise at 17 was that I would soon come to struggle, for many years to come, to access art and the gallery spaces I adored so much. This loss was not to be limited to visual art and galleries. I soon struggled to see and experience the visual nature of theatre, film and dance. The visual and artistic worlds were beginning to disappear. Gradually and silently they fell away from me. This outward loss forced me to look within. I do so hope you enjoyed listening to my book and podcast series, Blindingly Obvious. It has been an absolute privilege to be able to share this with you. Listen out for the next chapter coming soon. If you would like to purchase the entire book in audio or an array of other accessible formats, including New Zealand Sign Language, or to learn more about my work, visit my website, minib.co.nz. Thank you for taking the time to listen and to be with me. See you next time. With love, Minnie B.